Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody, we're doing a little bit of a different episode today. Instead of a review, we're going to talk about what we love about co-ops. Yeah, and along with those, we're going to talk about some games specifically and how it meets that criteria that we're looking for. So we're sticking with our top five format. We're just changing it up a little bit and not talking about one specific game this week. And beyond that, we don't get a chance to do this very often. We're just going to talk kind of casually about some games we've been playing a lot recently. Some you might have already heard about or seen on the YouTube channel. Some uh, maybe you have no idea we're playing. So a little bit of a, a fun, kind of more relaxed episode today, we hope. And you guys might have noticed from the intro, both this week and last week, and I know we talked about it two weeks ago, but just as a reminder, we are changing the name of the podcast to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. So if you haven't done so already, subscribe to it. So that way, when the name change officially goes through, you will get all the new episodes and not have to search for them. Yeah, we just thought it would make sense to kind of combine the the brand into one brand. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get in this top five list. Mike, I'm kind of curious about your list, so why don't you start us off this week? My number five is that cooperative games fix game types that I want to love, but either don't enjoy fully competitively or don't work too well for me competitively. And this applies to a lot of genres, but specifically I'm thinking of party games, dexterity games, and real-time games. So in all three of those cases, party, dexterity, and real-time... Competitive games in those formats have issues for me. With party games, almost all party games that we used to play when we were younger were uh, games like Taboo, which I I love Taboo, but it's always like a team versus team or one player versus another. And, you know, you can celebrate with your team, but it's always kind of at the expense of the other team. And don't get me wrong, I'm a competitive person in a lot of ways, and I would enjoy those kind of things, but it never quite felt like what I really wanted a party to be. I wanted a party to be everyone kind of loving and enjoying each other's company and not uh, potentially attacking each other in game form. So compare that to, like, Codenames uh, Cooperative or Just One or all these other kind of casual games for small parties, and uh, it's just an amazing experience with uh, the cooperative thing there. And then also with uh, real-time, I used to play a game called Jab Real-Time Boxing that was just a complete mess to play competitively because there's so many kind of like rules ambiguities when you're trying to fight each other in real-time and resolving rules issues as you go. But in cooperative, you can kind of just laugh about the mistakes and figure out those things together. And you can even play some games with no uh, real-time and just kind of going at whatever speed you need to learn the game. So... I think for, for a lot of genres that I want to like, but that I have difficulty with or trouble with in a competitive, cooperative kind of fixes that. And no, I, I didn't mention dexterity games, but as you've probably heard before, I'm terrible at them. So at least in a cooperative dexterity game, I can be, uh, <laughs> I can be terrible with the team and they can all, you know, just suffer with me as I make us all lose. Well, and I'm going to get to more on that point a little bit later on. Not you making us lose, but something similar to that. I hope number one is that Mike loses. <laughs> Mike loses us, us games all the time. Number one. <laughs> yes, he does. So 
my top five, the way I went about this, it's a little bit more general categories. And I will say that not all of these are exclusive to cooperative games, but I think cooperative games, in my estimation, do these better than competitive games. And that's kind of the angle I came at this list with. With that being said, my number five is the bonding experience. And I think you talked about this a little bit. It's the difference between playing blackjack versus playing craps in a casino. Basically, the bottom line is... In craps, when you win, you all win together. In blackjack, somebody could be really hot at the table and winning, and they're having a great time, and everybody else is like frowning and looking at them angrily as their money pours out of their pockets. So it's kind of a win together, lose together situation, and that is something that cooperative games do that competitive games certainly don't do. And some examples of this that I thought of that really, really exemplify this and even take it to the next level of bonding, I mean, the mind, I've talked about it over and over again, that is literally a game where at the beginning, everybody's kind of flailing in their own directions, and then you kind of get this shared bonding experience where you just get better at the game together. And another one I thought of for this is Mysterium. So Mysterium, you have one person being the ghost, and they're not saying anything, and they're giving you these somewhat random clues. But sometimes they just kind of click, and it's this, like, mind-meld moment. And so, and when it happens, everybody gets super excited and celebrate together. So those were two examples I thought of that, that really brought bonding to mind. Yeah, great points. I'm not as big a fan of Mysterium, but the mind is definitely one that leads to real bonding moments. And, yeah, totally get what you're talking about. My number four is a little bit of a selfish one. But it certainly applies with me doing all these reviews and playthroughs and everything. And that's that, in general, not all, but most cooperative games naturally lend themselves to solo play as well. And I'm somebody who likes to play games all year round, likes to play them all days of the week. And that's just not always possible. So the fact that I can take most cooperative games and either play as one character or sort of pretend that I'm two players and just play open-handed... It uh, definitely greatly increases their value to me and, and gives me a lot more play out of them. Two I thought of especially, two of my favorites of recent years, Spirit Island and Street Masters. I enjoy playing both of those cooperatively quite a bit, but I play the heck out of them solo, and they're tons of fun in either way. Yeah, those are some great examples. So moving on to my number four, you know, I thought we were going to overlap more, but... I thought I had, like, the top five things, and it was a definitive list, but apparently just for me. Well, no, I mean, this was a it was, it was a more generic kind of topic, like, what, what do you love or what's special about co-op games? So I definitely went with, I guess, a bit more, I would say, like, a more emotional, like, personal level of uh, my list. So I think it's cool. We, we'll, we'll have the, the least converging lists we've ever had. And watch, number one, two, and three are going to be the exact same now. <laughs> Maybe. All right, so getting on to my number four is the scalability. And I mean several things by that of cooperative games. Number one, difficulty levels. What your group does as a group, and again, that's kind of going back to the number five point of bonding. Everybody's in this together. You can scale the difficulty based on the prowess of the group. Whereas in competitive games, you really can't do that. You're not changing the difficulty level of the game. Maybe you'll add more expansions and increase complication, but it's not going to change how hard it is for somebody to play. And somebody who's good at that game is probably going to remain good at that game. And that's the other part is handicapping. You know, some games that do this really well, Sentinels of the Multiverse, Aeon's End, they have these champions that are more or less difficult to play as. They have enemies that are more or less difficult to play as. So if I'm really good at the game, I can play one of these harder champions that are more difficult to use and 
be able to play at the same table as you and we can play against one of the easier enemies and now my difficulty doesn't come in from the enemy himself but it comes in from my character and trying to to make that character work so i know we talk a lot of times about balance and that's the one thing i do like about co-ops is they don't have to be 100 percent balanced as long as the difficulty scaling is right and as long as you let people know kind of where those hero balances are, and that way they can choose to use a more difficult hero if they want to. My number three really does align very well with that one, so I guess we have some overlap. I said that I focus specifically on the, the difficulty scaling, and not just that you can tailor the difficulty based on your group, but also that you can tailor the difficulty based on the experience you want to have in that play. With a competitive game, I can't... <laughs> I can't set it up so that I'll have an easy win. And if I do, I generally don't feel satisfied with it. You know, like if I go into uh, like a, an elementary school to play chess with somebody for the first time and then destroy them, I'm not going to be like, yeah, I'm the winner, big winner. You know, it's there's no, well, I guess some people might feel that way, but there's no joy for me there in that kind of play experience. But, and it's funny, actually, I had Sentinels as the exact same example as you here. In Sentinels... I can, you know, my wife and I can sit down and play against Baron Blade with some of the strongest, easiest heroes. And it's not like it's not a satisfying experience just because it's a pretty easy win. The play of the game is fun and the cooperation and working together is fun. So sometimes we just want to have a casual experience where we know we're going to mop the floor with the guy. And that is just as enjoyable sometimes as a really tough game. And on the other end, we can make the difficulty stupid hard like some of the more difficult levels of codenames duet or you know trying to get a perfect game in hanabi and <laughs> you know instead of being angry when you get crushed in a competitive game you often have either feelings of inferiority i know i do or uh, or feelings of anger toward the player that beat you and you know you want to be socially polite so you have to kind of tamp those down and control them but a cooperative game, you can just get angry at the game, and usually that anger leads to wanting to play it again and wanting to try to beat it better this time, which I find a very positive experience. It's kind of that perseverance against a difficult task instead of that social anxiety or anger that can come from competitive games. So I think all of that, you know, I'm kidding a lot of different topics here, but I boiled it all down to difficulty scaling and how you can really tailor the experience to exactly what your play group is looking for on that particular evening. Yeah, I do that a lot where I'm tired at the end of the night and I just want to put down the difficulty level. Or if I'm playing with my kids, I can put down the difficulty level. Or, you know, if we're just in one of those funks, you know, you can all go out and make you feel good about yourselves by, by putting it on super easy level and just go ahead and smack in the game and like, yeah, we are so smart. <laughs> all right, so my number three is the puzzling nature of a lot of co-ops. Now, it's interesting because I don't know that this is always a positive, but for the most part, I really do like it in games like Spirit Island and Deep Madness are my two examples here, where you've got this puzzle put out in front of you and you kind of have the way to solve it. You just got to figure it out. Now, I don't always love this because in all honesty, games like Time Stories and games like Andor, I don't love it as much in. But most of the time, it's just cool to be able to sit around the table with your friends and try to figure out that puzzle. You know, I'll work over here, you work over there, or hey, can you help me out over here? You know, it's a group puzzle solving activity. And another great example of this is the unlock games, the exit games, all the escape room games, you know, the mystery solving games. I really like just working on a puzzle as a group 
and trying to solve it together. Like I said, sometimes it gets too mechanical and that's where it loses me a little. That's why I like the Unlock series better than Exit because I feel like there's a little bit more story there. But for the most part, I love sitting down at a table and as a group trying to solve this puzzle or solve this mystery together. Yeah, I love those games too. Although you definitely mentioned some of the ones that I've had more problems with, especially Andor lately. Even since our review on Andor, I've had more Andor plays, and they have not been great. So, hey, a little preview of an upcoming video. (laughs) Well, and part of that, too, is that even, I mean, as with every game, people are going to love them. You know, Jamie Stegmaier, Time Stories is one of his favorite games, if not his favorite game of all time. And we just think it's okay. And that's all right. You know, not everybody's going to have the same case in game. I'm sure for somebody, Andor is their perfect kind of game. They want that exact puzzle. And they want it to be challenging and sometimes frustrating. And, you know, they want to go through it five or six times until they can beat it. And for some people, they just don't want that. And that's okay, too. You know, these lists are very personalized. So if we're trashing one of your favorite games, it doesn't mean that you are wrong. It just means we have different tastes. Nah, really good to remember, I think, for all... I mean, reviews on anything, not just board games, but absolutely. So my number two, I I didn't have like a nice pat title for this one. So I called it, uh, (laughs) it's a bad title. It feels great to rescue and to be rescued. And this is a very specific thing that doesn't apply to all co-ops, but the ones that it does apply to are often my favorites. And that's where games allow you to save another player or come out of nowhere to boost their action to just push them over the finish line just that little bit, or handle the obstacle. And, you know, it's especially prevalent in certain genres like dungeon crawlers and things where you can literally defeat the monster that's about to hurt your friend or take damage for somebody or those kind of things. And this reminds me a lot of when I used to play role-playing games. I, I still play them some, but when I used to play them a lot... I always loved the sense of directly pulling a buddy out of the fire and helping each other out and kind of saving each other from threats. And maybe it's cheating a little bit, but the two games that jumped in my head most for this one are two of our designs. One is Spare Parts, which is the the one we're working on the most right now. And just, uh, you know, blowing up somebody else's enemy before they can get a shot on you, working together to take down a big boss... I find that a lot of fun. And also uh, Salvation Road, that's one that Van Ryder Games published a while back for us. And I remember the very first time that AJ, uh, the head of Van Ryder Games, played it, he uh, sort of (laughs) jeopardized winning the game to uh, go and rescue Chris Kirkman's character from uh, the apocalypse before uh, the Marauders got him. So... Yeah, just, I love that feeling of, like, I'm going to save somebody else. I'm going to rescue somebody else. And again, not every co-op has it, but the ones that do, it's really special. Well, I think The Reckoners does a pretty good job of it, too, because you have those shared actions, combined actions. You can help somebody else if they're blockaded in. You can get rid of the blockade so they can move somewhere else and do other things. It definitely has those kind of teamwork moments in, in Reckoners as well. All right, so my number two is that it is inclusive. What I mean by that is I can play co-ops with basically anybody. I play them with my kids. I play them with my non-gamer spouse. I play it with non-gamers. I play them with gamers. It doesn't matter. Anybody can play co-ops because 
you don't have to learn all the rules at the beginning of the game. As long as one person knows how to run the game, you can play any of these co-ops. Now, obviously, there's different levels. You're not taking a new gamer and trying to teach them Spirit Island, of course. But with my kids, since they were real young, I played Orchard, I played Castle Panic, and they love those type things. Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle. With my spouse, Pandemic and Flashpoint. Non-gamers we've introduced, obviously, The Mind and games like that, too. And there's certainly intro games of every level. But a lot of times, if you're competing against somebody, you kind of have to explain all the rules up front, which can be a burden on people. And so I find with co-op games, you just kind of have to tell them to do what they can do and then let them make their own choices from then on out and like just run the game for them. So I find co-op games really good for that. And the other part of that is, you know, the winning and losing aspect of it, kind of going back to my number five You know, you're all winning as a team and losing as a team. And certainly when I introduce new gamers or non-gamers to a co-op, I'm going to set that difficulty level real low so we all have an enjoyable experience and we all get to, you know, feel that sense of victory at the end. That goes right into my number one. Yeah, I I thought that would be high for both of us. And that is, uh, for me, that I can get casual players into gaming through co-ops. And a, a big one that, for me personally, is getting players who have had bad experiences with competitive games or are just kind of conflict-averse into co-ops. Uh, three examples of that. My my wife generally has a hard time losing at cooperative... or sorry, at competitive games and will often get very mad at me when I'm the one who wins, which has led to me sort of needing to throw games or not play my best in a way that's, I think, unsatisfying for both of us. My stepdad had a lot of bad experiences with competitive games and people kind of winning and bragging about it back when he was a kid. And I imagine a lot of people have this kind of (laughs) sort of mental trauma associated with games. So he doesn't want to play games at all. And the only way I've been able to kind of slowly bring him back into enjoying that kind of hobby is through cooperative games. And then the big one that I'm going to actually use some example games for is my son, Harrison, who's six years old now. And you, you might have seen him in one of my uh, YouTube videos. I think he was on the Stuff Fables video. But yeah, I, I tried to play sort of some of the traditional kids' games with him, like uh, Candyland and those kind of things. And when he lost, he would he would cry, and he would have no fun at all. And again, I was in sort of the situation where I either had to let him win or just kind of not play the game if I didn't want to actively upset my son. And maybe some parents would have said, hey, you know, it's important for him to learn how to lose, just tough through it, let him suffer through it. But I don't know. I I don't I don't believe in that. So I kind of went through like a slow progression with him. So first we played uh, some of the the games you just said, like the Haba games, which you let me borrow. Then we played uh, Forbidden Island. Eventually we got to more complicated ones where I would just kind of help him out as much as needed, like uh, Space Alert for some reason. even though It's a pretty uh, complicated co-op. He wants to play that a lot. And now, just recently, in the uh, the last uh, probably six months or so, I've been able to get him to play competitive games, and he's just kind of used to gaming and used to rules and used to the feeling of losing in a cooperative game, and I've noticed that he tends to do a lot better with competitive games. Now, he'll still get upset when he loses. He's six years old. But it's not like it makes him not want to play the game anymore. He just he takes it in stride and kind of moves along with it. So uh, I'm going to talk about one of the competitive games we've been playing a lot recently in uh, my games I've been playing section of the episode. But yeah, it's been great to work with, especially my wife and and my son, 
to kind of use cooperative games to get them to be more avid gamers overall and to have a more positive experience with games overall. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be high on most cooperative gamers lists. A lot of us have families or just a lot of non-gamers in our lives that we want to share our gaming enthusiasm with, and I think cooperative games are certainly one of the best ways to do it. Oh man, absolutely. But yeah, I'm curious what your number 1 is. I, I thought that might be it. Yeah, so my number one is one thing I think cooperative games, you know, for the rest of the list, they said, yeah, you know, maybe there are some that do, maybe there are some that don't do as good a job as cooperative games at doing these things. Number one, I can't think of a game that does this as well as, like, most cooperative games, and that's telling stories. Hmm. So let me start with kind of the failures that I see. Tales of the Arabian Nights, right? That's a storytelling game where the competitive nature of it. it's just silly i mean it's it's not a competitive game at all it's more of a you know whatever you want to call it but you know there there isn't much strategy to it and so i i feel like that one as far as a game goes is kind of a failure as a competitive game above and below same thing the stories are great and the gameplay is great but they don't really work together very well and so i think that a lot of times when competitive games try to do this, they're fighting against themselves, whereas cooperative games, the story just kind of blends in. And some examples, I mean, pretty much any dungeon crawl you've ever played typically does a pretty good job. I think Descent does a pretty good job with their new app at integrating the story. I think one of the best ones I played is Mansions of Madness. You definitely feel the story bleed through, and it can surprise you at moments by having things jump out at you, and you're always dreading you know, that next evil phase that comes up. So I think they can, you know, evoke emotion, have you remember those stories. So the the probably number one for me, though, is Pandemic Legacy Season 1. It had such great story moments, more so than I, I can ever remember in any competitive game I've ever played. Yeah, there are gameplay moments in those games that I'll remember, but not really story moments the way they've done it in pandemic legacy so i just think that cooperative games do this better than competitive games now i'm sure people are going to think of examples that probably contradict this but i couldn't think of any really good storytelling games that are also good competitive games as well yeah and i think the the very act of kind of hearing a story and experiencing a story is a shared experience so it it is awkward to force it to be competitive you brought up arabian nights what I'll bring up is Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. There's no reason that game can't be played cooperatively, and I certainly play it that way. We just kind of all talk through the case and try to solve it together, and we've seen that kind of thing with Detective and Chronicles of Crime and similar games recently. But I think in the official competitive rules for Sherlock Holmes, you're supposed to like take turns passing the book around and picking where to go and silently reading and silently taking notes. Or maybe read out loud, but... Yeah, in any case, like the idea that I think especially older games that when cooperative games weren't really a thing yet, or at least weren't a popular thing, felt the need to shoehorn in competitive rules in places that did not need them at all. Like I'll bring up uh, Defenders of the Realm, you know, like that game, that game is a pure co- cooperative game. And then they're like, hey, but uh, here's a random point scoring method and you you won more than everyone else and it's like oh my gosh you don't need that so yeah i'm i'm very glad that games have come around to being able to just be purely cooperative and it's not like an embarrassing thing that you need to kind of hide in your game and and yeah sorry i I sort of went away from the story thing but yes stories are great (laughs) cooperative (laughs) games tell them really well nice 
All right, so now we're gonna get to what we've been playing lately. So here's my suggestion. I suggest we start with the cooperative ones and then people who are listening to One Stop Co-op Shop and don't wanna hear about our competitive plays lately, we can kind of leave those for the end and then you can you know, turn it off if you want and don't have to listen to the end. Although for those of you who don't listen past the end credits, the bloopers for this one are gonna be pretty good, I think. So you should definitely stick around and uh, at least fast forward to them. When I will say I only have a single game on here that can't be played cooperatively and it's getting a cooperative expansion uh on kickstarter later this year so (laughs) you won't have to skip too much for me but peter you've definitely been playing more competitive games i think than i have well yeah and my kids are getting to that age and both of my kids i'm really having fun playing with them mostly cooperative still but certainly some competitive as well so, uh, by the way, a lot of these, you know, I'm, I'm clearly, <laughs> to get all the videos um, and reviews and things on the YouTube channel, I have to be playing games at a pretty good clip, so I don't always get to, it is rare that I have a lot of time to play games that aren't being reviewed or, uh, or covered on the YouTube channel, so just keep that in mind. You might have either seen these already or will be seeing them. But what I've been playing recently is Magic Maze. I think we, did we, did we, we reviewed Magic Maze a while back, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so Magic Maze sort of came back for me for two reasons. Number one is that Harrison has been enjoying it and has been requesting it. Uh, Not all the time, but he definitely likes it. And, you know, we we did the whole thing where we played without the timer, but now he's actually gotten good enough that we can play with the timer, and it's it's just awesome, you know, to... That game's great for reaching that zen state where you're working together without saying anything. And, and we've gotten there. Like, we've beaten some of the easier levels with no talking whatsoever and with uh, the full timer in effect. So that's been great. But then also, um, I came up with my own variant for solo play because uh, the official variant for solo for Magic Maze I found really unfun and really kind of challenging in a dexterity based way, but not in a, like, not challenging in the way I want it to be challenging, like the game play. Shocking. You took the dexterity element out of it? Well, again, it's only dexterity for solo. Like, there is no dexterity know, in kidding. the game. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll remove dexterity from any game that I can. <laughs> but, yeah, so all I do for those who play Magic Maze, I just uh, assign... I, I pretend that my... <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I pretend that my right hand is player one and my left hand is player two, which sounds like the the bad intro to a dirty joke or something. And I only use the one-player tile with my right hand and this uh, two-player tile with my left hand. So, like, I can only move the pawns one way with my right hand and the other way with my left hand. Whenever I flip the hourglass, I switch it. And it's worked super great. And it's allowed me to play a game that I enjoy a lot. Again, the benefit of co-op games being soloable. It's allowed me to play a game that I enjoy a lot with uh, the more challenging levels. And I actually got the expansion because of it because I I never thought I'd play uh, the game consistently enough with a group to let the added challenge of the expansion be worth it. But now that I can play the game solo in a way that I find satisfying, it's not a problem. Cool. Well, speaking of timers, my daughter loves timers. I think we've discussed this before. She just absolutely loves playing games with timers. So brought out Kitchen Rush last night, played it with both of the kids, and it was a complete and total disaster. It was just awful. I mean, we couldn't do anything as a team. (laughs) I got so frustrated. And this is the one thing I'm starting to realize. And I kind of have to watch it with myself because with games with a speed element, you get your adrenaline going, you get your blood pressure flowing. So I found myself like yelling at my children at some points throughout the course of the game. It was not a good side of me at all. It was not a good sign. 
So tonight I was shocked when she requested to play it again. And I just told myself to be calm. Don't worry about <laughs> it. And we had a great time. And so it's funny. I think this is one we're going to probably end up reviewing here soon. But I was shocked at how different my experience was. And just, I don't know, those real-time games really do get your, your blood flowing. And if you're in a tired mood, you're cranky anyway, you got to watch out playing those things with, uh, with people. That is one, one word of caution for real-time games, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I, I let you borrow Kitchen Rush, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I'm, I'm glad you didn't just have a terrible experience with it. <laughs> oh, yeah, my son did, wanted nothing to do with it today. And then my daughter's <laughs> like, hey, can we play that kitchen game? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That's great, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you pulled it out. So another game I've been playing a lot recently is Tournament Fishing, <laughs> which you've already seen a playthrough and a review of, and you know I'm a pretty big fan of, but it is... For whatever reason, I, I have zero interest in fishing as a like activity. I did it a little bit when I was a kid and didn't really enjoy it. But this game, I, I really like the uh, the co-op mode and the solo mode with it. I just recently... So, to give the full story, I got a copy of the game from the designer for free, did a playthrough, did a review, liked the game so much that I sent it to another reviewer Liz at Beyond Solitaire. Plug to Liz. She's amazing. And I ordered my own copy when they were having the sale on Game Crafter. So I got that and uh, two expansions. I've got it set up on my table right now because I haven't gotten to play the expansions much yet. But yeah, it's, it's a great little deck builder. Awesome. Really quick fun uh, with Solo. And yeah, the, the two-player co-op, you know, disclosure, I did help kind of give the designer the idea to design it. But it's great. It, it works really smoothly. It's it's fun. Now, competitive. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, this is where I'll jump in because I played this one with you. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I hated this game. Just as a point of reference, like I'm sitting there and it was it was Murphy's Law all over. Like, you know, in a in a in a cooperative game, that doesn't matter as much if everything starts going bad for you. But I didn't really understand what I was doing at the beginning. And this is, you know, can be the point of frustration with a lot of competitive games. If somebody has a lot of experience with it and you have none or somebody gets really lucky early on and just gets this engine going that you just can't catch up from. I mean, there was no catch up mechanism at all in the game and everything kept going wrong for me. And I couldn't figure out how to get myself from spiraling out of control. So. Just as a counterpoint to what Mike's saying, I know he loves it. He loves deck builders. He likes a lot of things about it. I saw some cool things in there, so I'm not going to say it all is a bad design. But the randomness and the luck element for me were just too much in a competitive experience. I have not tried the cooperative game yet, though. Yeah, well, we'll have to get you into that at some point. But, oh, man, Peter just could not keep a fish on the line to save his life. Oh. <laughs> but just kept on snapping. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was very frustrating. But anyway, let's get back to positive things. So I know Steve just covered Marvel Legendary with his wife last week, so shout out to him if you haven't listened to it. It was a great episode. But I played it, and to be honest, I bought Marvel Legendary several years back because my son and I played it at a local game cafe a few years ago, and he absolutely loved it. My son is definitely into deck building games. He really likes them. And so I bought it a few years ago, but then played the Legendary Encounters and really just enjoyed those much more and my son still does love the marvel universe though so i pulled out marvel legendary the other day just to try it again as a cooperative game and we had fun with it we had more fun than i thought we would 
I like the different schemes and things like that. So I guess I had only played with like the basic stuff a couple times and I was like, oh, this isn't very interesting. But I think as you add schemes, if you increase the difficulty a level, especially for that base set, it's a little too easy right out of the box because it's really not designed for cooperative play. You have to increase the difficulty level a little bit. But I liked how every different scheme they had kind of led to a little bit different gameplay. So we had some fun with it. It's certainly not anything that I'm, you know, rushing to get back to the table. But I did have a lot more fun with it than I remembered having in the past. That's great. I I find the Legendary series overall to be, for me, like kind of an uninspired deck building thing. But it doesn't mean I don't enjoy, especially the Legendary Encounter games from time to time. I've been playing Defense Grid, uh, which is a board game based on the very popular tower defense uh, computer game. And it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not amazing. It's not bad. There will probably be a playthrough video on the channel by the time anybody's listening to this episode. In fact, I'll say there definitely will be a playthrough video and maybe even a review as well. I, I might have both of them up. But yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely okay. If it was faster to play, um, I would enjoy it more. I won't say any more than that. I don't want to kind of... Well, it's weird. I, I don't want to spoil... Well, in case Peter and I cover it in some point, I don't want to spoil Peter's experience of it. But yeah, it's it's not a flawless experience, but I've had some fun with it playing uh, mostly solo so far. All right, so I do have one more cooperative game before I, I've got a couple of competitive games. So my last one is Greyport, or Battle for Greyport, I guess is the full name. Oh, yeah. I, I, I did play that quite a bit, but I figured we had talked about it so much I didn't need to mention it again. But go ahead, uh, describe your experience with it. Well, I think my experiences were more neutral when we reviewed it, and I don't remember. But I've had a lot more fun with it recently. I took it up to Beermongers, which is the secret cabal game night that they do up in Pennsylvania. So it's about an hour away from me. And I go up and hang out with those guys every once in a while. And I whipped it out there. And people really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed it too. And I played it, you know, with my kids since then. It's a really good deck builder that does something different than any of these other deck builders do. So I just wanted to give a shout out. I think I was a little, again, neutral to negative on it. But I mean, it's certainly one of my son's favorite games right now. And certainly something that if you didn't know, I would buy no question. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of my favorites. Um, it's a deck builder. I wouldn't call it like a heavy deck builder in terms of that mechanic. But I think that game is super, super good. I'm, I'm going to kind of, uh, since I know your your list is getting uh, down, I'm going to go through three at once. All of these have had playthroughs on the channel. so uh, And they're all kind of like quick solo games, which Tournament Fishing was as well, but I kind of separated that out. So uh, Helionox, that's a deck builder from Mr. B Games. Uh, Judge Dread: The Cursed Earth, which is based on the Lost Expedition system. Uh, Jason from Every Night is Game Night sent that one to me, so thanks, Jason. And then uh, Deep Space D6. All these are quick to play. Helionox is certainly more involved and has more strategy, and it's it's pretty good. Uh, my my review is already on YouTube if you want to go uh, check that out. And then uh, Judge Dread and Deep Space D6 are very similar in that they're both very hard. You can lose them at a moment's notice. Between the two, I think I enjoyed Deep Space D6 more because there's more variety in the gameplay. And also the difficulty ramp up feels better. Judge Dread kind of goes from 90 to 100 like there is no kind of early game. You're just kind of getting destroyed right off the bat. So yeah, they're, they're both fine. I Both of them are games that I just play and play and play. Like I'll play four times in a row or five times in a row. They're just very fast that way and, and fairly addictive. 
But yeah, if you're going to get one of the two, I would say Deep Space D6. And if you're looking forward to Cool Stuff Inc. is the only place I've found that has it, but it's really cheap there. It's like 25 bucks. So uh, yeah, fun little dice game if you don't mind a ton of randomness and uh, potentially losing a whole bunch through no <laughs> choice or action of your own. So your ranking for the four games would be Fishing number one? Yeah, uh, Fishing number one, uh, between Deep Space and Helionox, that's tough. I think Helionox is a better game. It just takes longer to play than Deep Space D6, so I'd probably play Deep Space more. But I think Helionox is a better game. So yeah, I think it would go Tournament Fishing, Helionox, Deep Space D6, Judge Dredd. But that's not to say Judge Dredd is a bad game. All four of those were quick solo games that I played the heck out of, like, you know, nine or ten plays in just a week or so. So I think any of them you can have fun with. But yeah, Tournament Fishing and Helionox would probably be slightly at the top there. All right. You have any more co-ops to go over? Yeah, the the last I, I put these together, too. But we've been playing a lot of uh, three of our co-op designs. At Unpub recently, we we're playing uh, three games. And they're kind of the ones that we are working on for publishers currently. Well, yeah, so basically, in very generic terms, Spare Parts is really going great. Uh, by the time this episode is up, we should have uh, shared it with some of our casual playtesters on the Slack. And I'm really excited to see what they think. Uh, I, I think the... Uh, the changes we came up with, both from feedback at Unpub and just from Peter or I having cool ideas, I think it's by far the best the game has been. And I'm just so – I love playing it, and I'm so excited to see it. more people get a chance to play it and more playtesters kind of give it their time. Um, and then Unlikely Heroes and uh, Supermax, Guardians of Tartarus are the other two. And not to go into too many details, but both of them I had been – maybe feeling slightly iffy on parts of them, like I wasn't 100% happy. And after Unpub, coming away with some ideas that we came up with and also some suggestions from playtesters, so thanks to everybody who played those. I'm, I'm feeling really good about both of them. Like I, I found my passion and my excitement again, and playing them is just a lot of fun, and I think they're going to also be great games. So it, it's cool to have three co-ops in development at the same time, and all of them are ones that I have no problem just sitting down and playing anytime we get the chance. Yeah, I mean, I felt great and awful after Unpub because I felt like we had so much work left to do on the designs, but at the same time, I knew all of them were getting better. And so that's one of the cool parts about Unpub. I mean, we've talked about it in the past for any designers. I would certainly recommend doing it. It puts your game through tests that you just can't do on your own or you can't even do with your local game group. When they get pressure tested over and over and over again, you get to see it played three, four, five times in a row. The cracks start showing. You know, people start seeing the same exact things over and over. This is my problem with the game. This is my problem. And you just get to see it played over and over multiple times, and it really does bring the best out in the games. So Unpub was definitely a great experience for that. All right. Uh, so I guess that concludes the cooperative portion of the reporting, what we've been playing. So Peter, what's something competitive you've been playing recently? Well, there's one that kind of sticks out and I'll, I'll cover that one first, which is Meeple Circus. It's something I bought at Unpub. Actually, they have a vendor there that sells published board games and it's a dexterity game. So I know you're going to love it, Mike. Oh, man, I can't wait to try it. Let's let's play it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a dexterity game with a little bit of strategy elements. So you actually get to draft the pieces that you are going to build up into these cool shapes. And the dexterity element isn't that difficult. 
So anybody can kind of stack these meeples, horses, elephants, whatever they are, into these patterns that they have. It's just some people may take longer than others. And there is certainly a bonus for being the first one to complete it. You get like two extra points, but the game goes to like 50. So, I mean, it's not like you're going to win or lose. I mean, you may based on those couple extra points, but it's just neat to see what kind of how you decide to use your pieces and, you know, because sometimes you'll have three or four different options in how to use them and just trying to figure out how to use them to their best advantage and it's something anybody can play because it's a stacking game. You say, all right, these are the four patterns you're trying to make. Get your pieces you want to get and then go ahead and try to make them as best you can. And so I played it with the kids. The kids absolutely love it. Played it with our old neighbors who we play games with. You know, they really enjoyed it. Linda loves it. So... It's certainly a game that has been a big hit, mostly casually. I'll certainly give it a try. I don't mind stacking games. I have a lot more fun with in general than flicking games. So maybe I shouldn't say I don't like dexterity games in general. Maybe I should just say that I suck at flicking (laughs) and thus tend to not have as much fun with uh, those games. Yeah, no, I understand that. All right, so uh, I have three competitive games on my list and I'll start with the one that's not that good first. Fireball Island. I bought that for my son for Christmas. This is the, the new one from Restoration Games, of course, not the, the old classic version. And he likes it. <laughs> he certainly enjoys flicking marbles down at me and stuff. They, they sort of tried to make the gameplay real gameplay and update it a bit. And I would say with mixed success. I, I don't find the gameplay very interesting in the most part but the the board and the components are generally beautiful except for the much maligned box which is certainly terrible uh yeah and it's 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 fun to flick marbles and get knocked over by fire and again thank you to cooperative games that got my son ready to play fireball island and get uh you know we had to play forbidden island for him to be able to survive playing fireball island so yeah it's 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 a game he likes it i I enjoy watching him play it and and being with my son, but uh, <laughs> I can't say that I enjoy it much. Yeah, so the next one I'm going to talk about is Black Pirate. This is another one. My kids saw it. They've been really into the Pirates of the Caribbean theme lately, and they saw that at a pirate game, and they're like, "Oh, we need to try that one and we had a great time and it is very competitive. It is one of the most competitive games I have as far as like direct conflict goes because you're sitting there blowing up each other's ship you're stealing stuff from each other's hulls and things like that so it is very confrontational in that way but also very simple and straightforward so there's not really any hard feelings when your person gets blown up they kind of come right back on the board so the kids and I have had a blast with that I, I've had a blast with that no matter what groups I've played it with from casual gamers I mean you're certainly not going to make it you know your heavy game of the night But it is a fun game. You have three ships. You have a merchant ship where you're just basically pick up and delivering. You have a pirate ship where you're basically trying to rob everybody else's merchant ships. And then you control the navy as well. And everybody controls the same two navy ships. And so they're trying to blow up the pirates. And, you know, you get gold for blowing up people's stuff you get gold for delivering stuff and then you kind of get to upgrade your stuff which is cool too so it starts out really simple and it builds really well so i think it does a lot of things really well and uh it's a fun casual yet competitive experience nice have i played that one i think you might have it's probably been a while though is that the one where like you have there's like a neutral pirate that's sailing around or 
Yeah, you have two neutral navy ships, and they're blowing up the pirate yeah. ships. Yeah, you know that that was a good game. Like, yeah, like a, a fairly lightweight. Yeah, no, I, I like that one a lot. I wouldn't mind playing that again. Absolutely. Well, I have it for sure. All right, so I got, I got two more. How many more do you have? I have two more as well. All right, cool. So next one is Dice Throne. And I'll say big uh, thanks to Dave on our Slack. He's the one who suggested this game to me. And I, I picked up the core set, which was kind of in between print editions, I think. But my, my local game store, which sadly has closed since I bought them, uh, my local game store had it in stock just by chance. So I got the, uh, the Season 1 set. And, man, this game is... It, it's Yahtzee with, like, card play, but, you know, sort of asymmetric, different uh, characters you can play as. And it is tons of fun. I mainly play with my son, actually. My wife had kind of didn't enjoy the competitive thing. Is getting back to <laughs> our earlier discussion. But my son didn't mind it as much, and also he just seems to win a lot. Like, that guy can roll five of a kind, like nobody's business. <laughs> well, who goes for it? That's why. No, No fear. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, no, that, that is very true. Like, I'm like, well, five of a kind, that's never going to happen. But he'll be like, every roll, he's like, five of a kind's coming, Dad. <laughs> and, nice. you know, sometimes it does. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a really fun dice chucker. The variety in characters is really pretty exciting and, like, cool to explore. You know, I, I love those kind of games, like Sentinels and Street Masters and Spirit Island and all of that. So, yeah, it, it's it's a great time. And... I did mention that one of the, you know that one of the games I was going to talk about is going to be co- cooperative, and the next Kickstarter season three for Dice Throne is all about like a big extended cooperative uh, way to play the game. So I will be a day one backer of everything for that because Harrison already loves the game, and if I could play it with him instead of against him, man, that would just be <laughs> that would be the only game we'd play for quite a while, I think. Yeah, I'm excited. I played this with you too, and I also played it with Jerry last year at PAX Unplugged, and he really didn't enjoy it. I liked it. I actually probably would have ended up picking it up if he had liked it more, but since he didn't, and I have plenty of two-player head-to-head games, I didn't end up getting it, but I enjoyed the experience of that one too, and I can't wait for it to be cooperative. I hope they do it right. Yeah, I mean, the designer hasn't talked too much about it yet, but talked to him a little bit online and he seems like a good guy but i think it was two designers so yeah i I hope they do it do it well all right so i'm going a little bit back in time on my uh next to last one here which is uh core worlds mike's been getting me into deck builders lately i mean it seems like half the games i talk about are deck builders anymore and i think core worlds does it really really well and actually after we did our last i think it was the grayport episode where we were just talking about deck builders made me want to go back to that and you know view how they called and they did such a good job of calling in that game they were really ahead of their time on a lot of things because you know every time you captured a planet you could call a card you know when you left cards in front of you could call it even with the expansion they added a third way once you get third three worlds you're allowed to call a card every turn out of your hand so they really did a good job of you know, not only culling, but having a good sense of progression through these different decks as you get closer and closer to the core worlds. Different cards come out that you can buy and different planets come out you can capture. And they used an action point system and an energy system. And it's a little more complicated probably than I would like it to be, but it's still a ton of fun. And I think they do some things really well in that one. So had a lot of fun playing with Nicholas Core Worlds. Yeah, and that one was one of my favorite games like overall, and definitely one of my favorite deck builders. 
And <laughs> the funny experience with that one is that I got the expansion, the, the first one, which adds a lot to the game, and I liked it less. And then I got the second expansion, and I liked it even less, and I traded it away. And part of me thinks if I had just stuck with the core game and never played the expansions, I would still love it. Because, like you said, I think it's it's just edging on the you know on the verge of being too complex already with the base game and definitely like the galactic orders and having to track with all these tokens like each of the different factions and your like alliances with them i th- that was one step too far for me so I, i'd love to play the the core game with you again at some point and just kind of remind myself why i liked it yeah, the only thing we use from that, because I don't even use the events from that. Well, I actually think the events are probably the worst part of that Galactic Orders expansion. I wouldn't mind using the different factions, because in all honesty, it's pretty easy. You probably wouldn't factor it into your deck building that much. I mean, maybe if you were an expert, you would. But basically, anytime you play a card with a symbol, you put a token on it. And those tokens just help you. They like help you get out of situations that you wouldn't be able to normally. So that part wasn't a step too far for me, even though I did not play with it last time. But the one thing I do love is that new card that once you have three worlds out, it lets you call every turn. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's, that's great. I would definitely always use that. I think it's great. I mean, I'll certainly play just the bass with you at any point. All right, so my last one, and then you can finish us off. If you've been on our Slack, (laughs) I've been talking about this game a lot. If you're Peter, I've been talking to you on the phone about this game a lot. I've done a video of it. Root, which is uh, the leader game's uh, asymmetric animals fighting over a forest game. (laughs) I I got Root based on the Kickstarter, which is uh, finished by the time this episode is playing. I got it because the Kickstarter told me that there was this better bot project that's been working on making uh, really good AIs for Root, you know, like Automa in the same fashion as Scythe, which I I love playing solo. So with that, I'd always wanted to play Root, but I had a pretty bad experience getting uh, Vast, Leader Games' previous game, and playing it with Peter and Jerry. It just went over not at all, and then I tried playing it solo, and the solo play was terrible. So I traded it away really quickly, and I was like, ah, man, I wanted to like this asymmetric game. I like asymmetric games in general, but that just didn't work. So the idea that Root was even better reviewed than Vast, and that, for me, it fixed some of the problems, like it wasn't as asymmetric, so it wasn't as tough to teach somebody. All of that combined with the idea that they had really good bots that would let me play it solo or cooperative just uh, was too much to ignore. So I got a copy, and it is the game I've been playing the most over the last week or so. I think I've played it like <laughs> 10 times in the last week, and I'd love to be playing it right now. I probably want to play it tomorrow. I mean, there's so many games fighting for my attention right now, like games that I have to do reviews and videos of, but if I had to pick one game, besides maybe Spare Parts, because I enjoy that and we're designing for it, uh, Root would be my top choice every time. I can't wait to teach to my wife. I could try to even teach it to Harrison and play cooperative, maybe. I mean, I'd love to do that. That would be awesome. But yeah, it's it's a really amazing game. The bots work, I think, really well. Uh, go watch my playthrough on YouTube if you want to kind of see how the bots work and just watch me get uh, demolished. There's a little bit of luck in the bots, like maybe slightly more than I would like, but that's the only issue. And even that is pretty easy to kind of mitigate in a lot of ways. So yeah, I think this game is just bonkers good. You know, I need to play it more to cement this, but it should be easily in my top 10 games uh, currently. Not my top 10 co-ops, because I haven't really played it co-op yet. I've only played it solo. 
but it it might it might be so good that it's just in my top ten games of of all time, regardless of like type. So we'll see how how it goes. But so far, signs are looking good. I just ordered the expansion on Amazon, paying more than I should have because uh, it's out of print everywhere. Um, and I, I did just pledge on the Kickstarter for the new expansion and like nicer versions of the bots. So I spent a lot of money on this game already, but man, do I love it. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I thought it was okay. I mean, I actually tried to talk you out of buying it because I had played it before. Uh, again, up at Beer Mongers with the Secret Cabal guys. I thought it was fine. I actually won that game. So usually when you win a game, you you really like it. But, I mean, it has some of the problems I have with these competitive games in general where everybody piles up on the leader or doesn't, in my case, where nobody piled up on me and I just ran away with it because nobody paid any attention to me. So... I liked it okay. I think the mechanisms are really good and really clever, and I like those. So I'd be interested in playing it cooperatively for sure. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely bust it out sometime uh, here soon. So the last game I'm going to talk about, I didn't even really get a full game of in, but I pulled it out and I started playing it with my daughter, who's only seven, and people are probably going to laugh at me for trying to pull this game out with a seven-year-old, but it's one of my favorite games of all time, maybe even inching toward my top game of all time, especially now that it's got a reprint coming with supposedly updated graphics, and that is The Castles of Burgundy. I just absolutely love this game. Going back to my puzzly nature of co-ops, this is one of those puzzles that just sings to me for whatever reason in a competitive game. There's not a lot of things you can do to each other. Certainly you can take tiles at each other once and just figuring out how to get around that and trying to figure out what people want and what they're going to try to race you to. I don't know what it is about it, but I pulled it out again and I started playing it again and I had played the card game and the card game's fine, but it's, it's not nearly as good as the board game is. It got me Jones into play it much more. And actually, one of the exciting things was my son saw us playing it. And he's like, oh, that looks fun. I want to try that. I mean, meanwhile, my daughter's brain is like melting over there. So <laughs> I definitely tried to get her into it a little bit earlier than I should have. But I just really like it. And it's just such an aesthetically... It's funny because people complain about the look of it. And it is kind of dull or drab or whatever. But you have this board that's got a lot of colors on it, but then you're kind of building this town, and it's got that Carcassonne feel to it, where, you know, the graphics on Carcassonne aren't anything to write home about, but you do feel like you've built something in the end, and, like, watching these fields build with, like, cows and chickens and all this stuff, and, you know, some of the buildings, even though they're not the prettiest things in the world, it definitely looks way neater when you get done with the board than when you started, so... I don't know. I, there's just something I love about it, and I can't wait for it to get reprinted. So that's The Castles of Burgundy, one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, and I, I think I've only played it a single time with you, but it was definitely good. I, I don't I don't generally love you know the fairly dry Euros, but that was a really solid design, really straightforward. For me, the thing that put it above a lot of Euros, and this is just my total personal preference, it is <laughs> nothing against Euros overall, I just loved that it was a very simple mechanic of, like, you, you roll some dice each turn, right? And then just use them or whatever? Yep. Yeah, so it, it was just so simple, like, the, the limited scope of what I could do from turn to turn. I, I tend to prefer Euros that are more tactical instead of, like, big strategic in scope. Not that there's not strategy in Castles of Burgundy. There certainly is. I, I wasn't good enough to pursue it, but I recognized that it existed. But, yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd play that one with you again as well like that was that was a really solid design all right it's on the game table putting it out tonight there we go we, we can do root and then uh castles of burgundy one after another 
yeah, too bad we have to design and do reviews. So if it wasn't for that, we'd be playing all of these things all the time, all of our favorites. But unfortunately, we don't get to talk about these much, and that's part of the reason we did this episode. We just wanted to play some other things that weren't strictly for review. We wanted to play some of our favorites, and we've been playing them, so we're like, hey, maybe you guys would like to hear about them too. So that's why we did this episode. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we play a lot more stuff, and you'll hear about some of it as we review it or see some of it on the YouTube channel. So keep on checking it out. Come join our Slack and suggest some games to us. And we uh, hope you have some great gaming yourselves. And now you can officially say it. Or I'll say it for the first time officially. We see you at the next stop. That's right. (laughs) See you at the next stop. Yeah, I've said it dozens of times on the uh, YouTube channel. But it's nice to say it on the podcast, too. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop, where you can get great game playthroughs and 5 and 5 reviews. If you want to have a conversation with us, the best place to reach out to all of us is on the Slack channel. The links are in the show notes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another Top 5 list. As a reminder, we are changing the name of the podcast to the One Cop. Wow, One Cop. Oh yeah, man. (laughs) One Cop Solo Thief. (laughs) All right, so I I actually realized I didn't order mine in order. So let's let's skim the list for a moment and see which one seems the least important. (laughs) All right, Um, should we pause? No, no, we don't need to pause. Okay, I I got it. I got it. Absolutely. No, crap. I'm not saying that. Get that word out of my <laughs> lexicon. No, re- really good to remember, I think, for all... I mean, re- reviews on anything, not just board games, but absolutely. No, not absolutely. Reviews, yes. Okay, <laughs> so... All right, it's going to be much worse <laughs> if you try to find other yeah, I know, words I know. I'm sorry. It's just funny to realize it. Yeah, well, I'm kind of going from my favorite to my least favorites here, but actually, well, I'm not going to say that because it's not true at all. Hey, Mike. Yeah. You know what I want to do a top five about next? Uh, no. Ways to say goodbye. Ciao. Avita saying. Is that, is that goodbye? Avita saying. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>